0: Thanks, Sam. Good morning, everyone. For those that don't know me, I'm uh, Jeff Leader, and I'm part of the ministry team here, and very proud to be a part of that team. Today, we're going to look at Jesus is a good teacher. That's our topic. So before I do that, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Scripture, the words that reveal your will and purposes for our life. We thank you for the words of your son, Jesus, who came and taught and uh, instructed his disciples. Indeed, he instructs us to this day. Our Father, may we take these teachings on board. May they apply to our life. And so, Lord, as we, uh, we look at Jesus, the good teacher, we pray that you would uh, help us to understand, be challenged and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past nine weeks, we've been looking at how people would finish the sentence is... mumble, mumble, mumble. Gee, we're really communicating this, aren't we, Stuart? Jesus is... Ah, well done. You've actually been listening a little bit. Awesome. Well, in doing so, we've been looking at uh, the character of Jesus, that Jesus is love We've looked at the claims Jesus made about himself, that he is the Son of God. We've also considered our responses to claims or opinions that Jesus is irrelevant, a fairy tale, a crutch or even neglectful. But I would hope that over the past nine weeks we've been able to demonstrate from historical documents and eyewitness accounts That Jesus was, in fact, a real person who lived in the Roman province of Palestine around 2,000 years ago. Furthermore, that Jesus attracted a large number of followers because, well, there's several reasons, but because of the miraculous signs and wonders that he performed, the healings he performed, um, but also because of the things he taught about the kingdom of God. And those teachings, those accounts of Jesus' life were written down for us and preserved down through the ages so that we can read for ourselves what he did and what he said to this day. And as we do, we can then examine the claims that he made and examine the truth of what he said. Indeed, Much of what Jesus is taught is acknowledged by, by most of the world's major religions. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, all acknowledge Jesus as a great or wise teacher, indeed even a prophet. And the general populace would regard Jesus as somebody significant, somebody who was a good teacher, He's regarded as someone who gave wise teaching. He helped us to understand what it means to live a morally upright life. What it means to care for people. People in need. And doing good towards others. So on the whole, Jesus is acknowledged as being real. A real person who lived, walked on this earth and who was a significant wise or good teacher. So we need to ask the question, what makes a good teacher good? If we're to call Jesus a good teacher, we need to ask ourselves the why question firstly. Why is Jesus a good teacher? Why is he regarded as a good teacher? Well, it may be helpful here to think about the teachers in our life, just to sort of focus ourselves a bit on what it means to be a good teacher. I guess we've all had good teachers uh, through the years, or maybe some not so good teachers. We've had good teachers at school, at university, at church, maybe in the workplace. For me, I remember a couple of teachers in high school who stimulated and encouraged my interest in science and mathematics And which ultimately led me to a career in electrical engineering. And then I remember very fondly two assistant ministers at our local church when I was in my teens. First of whom had an engaging and enthusiastic passion for the gospel, and I became a Christian under his teaching. The second person, uh, assistant minister, was a much quieter man, but he took an interest in me, and he had a huge impact on my growth and development as a Christian, as a young Christian. I've also sat under many great Christian teachers and I just want to mention briefly two that made a a big impact to me. One was a guy called Terry Fulham who you've probably never heard of. He's an Episcopalian or the American version of Anglican Um, and he co-authored a book called The Miracle in Darien, a church in Darien in I think it was Connecticut where he became the minister. He came out to Sydney at one time And he spoke on Isaiah 40, verse 31, which says, But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, when when this guy had finished speaking, and he spoke about the eagles and just how that connected to being a Christian and uh, living the Christian life, when he finished, you felt like you were soaring up there with the eagles. He had that sort of impact. The other Christian teacher that was significant for me was Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in, um, in California. And again at another conference in uh, Sydney, I heard Rick Warren speak about Moses' and, Moses's encounter with God at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 4. And God asked Moses the question in that encounter, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? And that that situation, it was Moses' staff. I won't get into all all the rest of the story. But the message of that um, that, uh, sermon was to us, what do we have in our hands in terms of time, talent and treasures? What have we been blessed with in this life that God wants us to use for his glory and his purposes in this world? caused me to think deeply about what I personally give and could give. So thinking about the good teachers who have taught you, what makes them stand out in your mind? What was it that made them stand out for you? What in particular? For me, what makes a good teacher is 2 prongs: What they say and how they say it. So firstly, a good teacher has to have some good or wise things to say. They know their subject. They know the, 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 there's that content to the, their teaching, the subject matter that they're presenting to their students. They need to know it well. and They need to have a good understanding of that subject. In the Gospels, when we see Jesus' teaching, we have a fairly extensive record of what Jesus taught. Now, sadly, we haven't got the time, do we, Stu? Uh, We haven't got the time to actually look at all of Jesus' teaching, so I just want to look at one tiny little bit. When we we come to the, the Gospels, we see one of the best examples of Jesus' teaching laid out for us in Matthew chapter 5 verse, uh, through to chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, uh, if you want a nice concise summary of what Jesus taught, how he challenged people, read Matthew 5 to 7. Now, as we start Matthew 5, notice that Jesus picks out a good location for what he's about to teach. And this brings up my point about knowing how to teach as well as having good content. Jesus knew that the venue had to be conducive for people to receive and understand what he wanted to tell them. And so he goes up on a mountainside and the crowds gather around him to hear what he has to say. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is believed to have taken place basically on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. You can visit the spot there as yet another church built on that site. But it's a a rolling hill, rolls down to the water. It's a beautiful spot. And Jesus would have sat down as as a rabbi who taught and the people gathered around him, sat down in front and he projected his voice over the people so they could hear what he had to say. Now, Jesus begins with what we know as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes... Uh, are like declarations of blessedness. I've already referred to them a couple of times this morning. But he he goes through the set of sayings or blessings before he proceeds to detail the moral and ethical expectations of living life in obedience to God. But blessed here, can I just point out, blessed here means more than just being happy. It actually refers to spiritual well-being it refers to the inner joy and peace we have when we are blessed by God. And it's particularly relevant to those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. So let's have a quick look at the Beatitudes. Because I think it's important just to dwell on each of these things, just briefly, because there's a lot of stuff in here that we can just read it through and think, oh, you'll get that. Let's just drill in a little bit further and have a look. Blessed are the poor in spirit, it starts. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Who are the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit are people who realize that they're basically not good enough for heaven. Hey, we're not perfect. And so we need a savior. Heaven is a gift, it's a gift of grace given to those who realise their need of salvation and who accept that they cannot earn their way or work their way to heaven through their own merits or just by being good or super good or whatever. Part of the reason behind the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus raised the bar of expectation. The Pharisees thought by obeying the commandments and a few other hundred little laws that they put in there that they'd be good enough for heaven, that God would accept them. But Jesus said, sorry guys, if you thought the bar was here, well, let's have a rethink about that because the bar is actually up here. Nobody can meet that standard. Nobody can meet that standard. Once you realise that, you realise that you're not perfect before God, that you are in need of some help to get to heaven, that you are poor in spirit. So the next one is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this is kind of like a twofold meaning. Firstly, there is reassurance for those who grieve the passing of a loved one, who are experiencing pain or suffering in their lives. That's on one level, and and be assured that God is there in those times for each and every one of us. He will walk through that time with us. He'll even pick us up and carry us, support us. And it's fantastic reassurance. But secondly. In this context, particularly after the first beatitude, is this is a statement about people who acknowledge that they're not perfect, that they, who acknowledge that they are poor in spirit, and grieve for that fact that they are impure, not perfect. And it could be extended to being a, a grief for the nation or the world But there is that promise of comfort for those who grieve for the state of the world, the state of the nation, the state of the community. Because we have a sovereign God. And he's a God who will provide comfort. And we can trust him in whatever situation we may find ourselves. So blessed are the meek, moving on. For they will inherit the earth. Now, this beatitude is actually taken from Psalm 37, verse 11. And it refers not so much as an attitude towards people, but more as an, an attitude or disposition before God, namely humility. Meekness, it's, it, it sort of carries the connotation of being like a wuss, a weak. But no, there's a strength in weakness. Because meekness is choosing humble submission to a greater authority. It's choosing um, that submission over ambition and authority. So we're encouraged to come before God with an attitude of humility. And when we do, we will receive an inheritance. And we can read about that inheritance in Revelation 21. It refers to a new heaven, a new earth when Jesus comes again. There is our inheritance. It's the inheritance for those who humbly submit to Almighty God. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This refers to people who have a deep longing for both personal righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And it reflects a deep longing to see God make all things new. In the meantime... God is only too willing to provide for the needs of those who seek to obey his commands, to follow the example of Jesus, follow the example of Jesus in confronting injustice and oppression and persecution in this world. People who want to obey Jesus because that's the sense of righteousness. Righteousness means obeying the will of God, following him, trusting him, And those who have that heart's desire to follow Jesus, they will be filled. God will provide for their needs in all kinds of ways. They will be blessed. And in the same vein, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As as God has shown mercy to us, we're encouraged to show mercy and compassion to other people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, our hearts are purified through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we accept Jesus as our Saviour, we're washed clean. And in God's sight, we are now pure. We're acceptable before a perfect God. We can't do that in our own strength. We're in our own right. Through the death of Jesus on the cross, taking our sins on the cross. And when we believe in him... He welcomes us with open arms as his precious, beloved children. What a thought. Blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers are people who promote peace as, it, as far as it depends on them. You know who is called the Prince of Peace? Jesus. Yeah. And as we seek to follow his way, we are encouraged to promote peace in this world. And in doing so, we reflect God's character. And are also then known as his children. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For people who suffer persecution or criticism for the sake of the gospel... There is that promise of a reward in heaven for their eternal salvation. Notice how the the final phrase there reflects the phrase in the first uh, beatitude. And if you look a bit deeper, you'll see that there is a progression from those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn for the state, and those who humbly submit themselves to God, who have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. All these promises are for those who would have a sincere desire to follow jesus to be merciful to be peacemakers and who may suffer persecution for what they believe it is brilliant teaching just sort of wrapped up in these few verses in matthew 5. but it actually sets the tone for the rest of jesus teaching on the mountainside in galilee and he goes on to explain what it means to have pure hearts, to be merciful, to be righteous, to be peacemakers and to live humbly and meekly before God. When Jesus had finished this teaching, if we hadn't picked up on it before, we read in Matthew, at the end of Matthew 7, in verses 28-29, that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Now, this is another important feature of a good teacher. A good teacher teaches with authority. A good teacher knows their subject and teaches with confidence. Many times throughout the Gospels, we're reminded that Jesus taught with authority and not like the teachers of the Jewish law. And in John 7, uh, verses 16 and 17 that were read to us earlier, Jesus himself tells us that the content of his teaching comes from God and that he, Jesus, teaches with the authority of Almighty God, his Heavenly Father. Now, when it comes to authority, real spiritual authority has to do with the truth of the actual words being spoken and the spirit of the person behind those words. Real authority is all about truth. Words that are true carry weight because they are true. And authentic spiritual authority puts us in touch with reality. So, Jesus was a good teacher because of what he taught. And he taught the truth with authority. But Jesus knew how to teach. So I mentioned before, he chose a location where people could hear him and see him. But he also preached with skill, enabling his audience to understand what he was saying and what he meant. And if we read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus used different figures of speech to illustrate, illustrate his teaching. He used stories and parables to teach important spiritual truths to his followers He used examples from everyday life that people were familiar with. He used farming examples. He used examples of just the towns and the streets, the synagogue, household, um, households. And And he used practical, tangible items like water and bread and wine to help people remember what he had said to them. But no matter how good your content is, Or your methodology. The most inspirational and influential teachers are those who are passionate about what they are teaching. And not only that, but they are passionately uh, committed to living it out, putting it into their words into action. I wonder if. You can remember when you cast your eyes back, minds back to a teacher who's taught you, has had an influence of you. Who can you remember a teacher who actually inspired you? Somebody who really spoke to your heart? A teacher who was excited and enthusiastic about their subject. They are the, the teachers who shaped the lives of their students. They are the teachers who've made a difference in our lives. They've challenged us challenged us and stimulated us to develop a love of learning. And I would have to say that the greatest teachers are those who inspire us to think beyond ourselves, to develop a desire to improve uh, improve the world and serve the needs of humanity. I'd have to say that Jesus was certainly that kind of teacher. He lived what he taught his speech was full of grace and kindness and his actions showed a heart of compassion, mercy and love. Jesus cared about people. He listened to them, he responded to them, he spoke to their hearts and he demonstrated the depth of his love by taking our sins upon himself and sacrificing himself on the cross Jesus the good teacher came to seek and save the lost he came as the saviour of the world but Jesus taught not just with authority and passion, he taught the truth as I alluded to before in John 1.14 it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory. This is John, one of the disciples, writing. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in John 14, 6, it says, "I," Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, what Jesus taught made sense to people. It appealed to them, spoke to their hearts. And Jesus presented his teaching with the authority of God and the confidence that it was the truth. As the good teacher, he taught truthfully and with authority. One of the most significant things Jesus said was that the only way to heaven is through faith, in him and him alone. No two ways about it. There is only one way. And so if people acknowledge Jesus as a good teacher, then better take a good, hard look at what he actually said. Because if what he said was false, then he wouldn't be a good teacher. He'd be a false teacher. But if what he said is true... That it would be prudent to listen to what he had to say, to take notice of what he said. You see, with Jesus, there's no sitting on the fence. You can't have it two ways. We cannot ignore Jesus and write him off as just another good teacher. He was and is and will continue to be so much more He is our King He is our Saviour and He calls us to put our faith in Him and follow Him and this is just not through our words and actions, it goes much deeper to the heart because it's our hearts that we need to get right before God because in the end God's not going to judge us by what we've said or what we've done but he will judge us in the attitude of our heart towards him, God, our Heavenly Father. So, if we look closely at what Jesus taught, we'll see that he actually spoke to people's hearts. And this is what made his teaching powerful and memorable because it made a difference to people's lives, it made an internal difference. And so we can conclude that Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is the good teacher. May we pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you that you've shown us the way back to you. We thank you that Jesus came to this earth and suffered and died on our behalf. And as we approach Easter... We remember that sacrifice and we remember what he taught. And we stand in humble gratitude, wanting to glorify you and our words and actions. So Lord, as you have taught those people so long ago, you teach us today. And when we take on board for ourselves, take it into our minds and our hearts, our lives that our, our ways will mirror yours, that we will follow you so that your name will be glorified in this world as long as we walk in it. And so we look forward to that promise that we'll be blessed and that we'll be meet, one day meet you face to face in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Odi, oh Q and A. Okay, far away. <laughs> Any questions? I'll get off before a hand goes up. <laughs> Thanks. No. Okay. Oh, that'll be right. <laughs> Well, they call this a Dorothy Dixer or something. No. <laughs> I'm, a play. I'm, I'm interested, I may, you may not know the answer to this because if the Muslims are acknowledging him as a good teacher, they must someone must have read his words. So how do they then explain that his words about being the way, the truth, and the life? You know, I can understand they could, I can understand why people they take part of his teaching, but I would have thought that in the background of such a solid religion that somebody, would have said either, oh, he's a good teacher, then he went crazy, or he's not a good teacher because he taught something that was really fundamentally wrong. So how do they actually marry those two things? (sighs) Right. Um, Basically because... Sorry. I'm not clear on the answer because I haven't... uh, I'm not that familiar with how Muslims think and uh, respond to that claim. But essentially... Uh, Muhammad's teachings in the Quran overruled all that went before so the idea is let's pick out the good bits and we'll disregard the, the bits we don't want to acknowledge so that's just a short answer to probably what's a fairly detailed topic does anyone else want to add anything to that? no? okay, any other questions? okay it's over to Annette, I think. I think you Okay.